is the Pegasus Podcast, presented by Night Sports Now. UCF news, views, and a few hot takes. Now, here are your hosts, Bailey, don't put me in the press box, Adams, and Christian, I'll fight with anyone on Twitter, Simmons. Welcome into the podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at BaileyJAdams22, at Simmons, and at Night Sports Now. Christian, we're here in person. How, how are you today? We are. We have not done an in-person podcast in, in a month. Like two months? It was the spring month, game, it was, right? it was a month ago. Was the spring game a month ago? It was like oh, it's May, middle it? of April, yeah. We keep thinking, we both keep thinking it's June. We've been talking about this multiple times over the last few days. Is Bailey and I are both convinced it is June, against all logic and sense. Well, not really. It's almost June. I know, but it's not. <laughs> but we've also been talking about this for a week. Like it was. I mid-May. did say that on like Sunday, I think. It was mid-May when we decided it's really June. Well, but, um, I think that's the thing. Not... Is like in the football off season for the most part, like after after a certain point in the spring, all of it feels the same. Yeah. Like, it, maybe it's once spring ball's over. Is that what it... I don't it's, know, no, like, literally, spring ball ends, and then it's the worst stretch of time is May and June, because there is just nothing for football. And it all feels like it's the same yeah. month, but, like, you, I guess maybe your brain kind of tricks you into thinking it's later than it is and closer to the season than it is. We it's, are 98... As we're speaking, we're 98 days away from kickoff. By the time you listen to this, it'll be 97 days away. Yeah. So, think about that, guys. It's, it, we, okay, so we said we were at the Charge On Tour tonight in Oviedo, and when they said 98 days, you're like, actually, it doesn't sound like that far away. And I was like, yeah, I agree. Until you said it just now, and you're like, when you think about it, it's not that far away to them, like to the listeners. And I was like, yeah, it does, though. But I think about it as like, so I'm going to have to wake up 98 more times. I say, like, I'm going to have to. <laughs> like, it's going to be like, you have to get through 98 asking more a lot of me to do that. But, like, I don't know. When I think about it like that, like, how many times I wake up, and then we call, I guess it's six times or seven times. But, like,. <laughs> I couldn't have phrased that word. That was, yeah. But you know what I mean. Like, I just, in my head, I'm like, okay, like, 98 more wake-ups. That seems more doable. It's like what people say, the more sleeps thing, right? People always, like, yeah. eight more sleeps until... Yeah, yeah. but still, so 98, that sounds like a big number to me. I mean, it's not a small number. I'm just yeah, trying like, to get through I'm the trying to, That's why, like, when I say, like, I don't know how many... I can't do math, like, on this fly like this, but, like, how many weeks is that? Because, like, I think if you lower down the weeks, it does sound closer. Well, 90 close days is three months, so that'd be 12 weeks. So it's probably, like, 13 weeks. Yeah. because See, that sounds so much closer. 13 weeks? Yeah, does, 13 weeks sounds why. farther for me. Really? Yeah. I'm a more of a day guy. We're off to I, a rip-roaring start here. Well, the other thing is, like, it's not, like, 98 days until UCF football... Well, yes, it is 98 days <laughs> until UCF football plays, but... It's like, think about that, like, a month leading up to that, UCF will be practicing again. Yeah. There will be other yeah. college football on, well, there will be press conferences, the AP poll will be out, so it's like, it's not, re- it's not 98 days until college football is a big part of our lives again, it's just 98 days until the actual game. Until UCF plays. Yeah. Yeah. Should so, we talk about the charge on We probably should. We, that's, where we, that's why we're recording this one on a Thursday night, um, and I'm actually, I made the trip to Orlando to go to the charge on tour. Um... It was another fun. Like I think I was sitting there thinking about this. Like we went last year. That was the first time you went. Was that the first time you went last year? Yep. Same first time for both of us, both of us last year. And I was sitting there and I was like, I just really enjoy this kind of stuff. It's fun. And I'm like, I feel like this is the kind of thing where like I will want to make this trip every year. To because like, and I also feel like we get a lot out of it. Like we recorded a podcast on it last year. And I going in, I was like, I don't know how much we're gonna have to talk about. And then I had like a whole page of notes. And it's the same thing this time. It's like I feel like there's always something that comes out of it. And I mean, we'll just run down the list of things that like came out, and it started with uh, President Alexander Cartwright. Christian pointed out that he goes by Alexander. And I was like, I've never considered because anybody does anybody call him Alex? I've only heard him as Alexander, I think. But I've never heard him called Alex. I just I just point out, is it a little like I don't know, like does he go by like if I were to see him on the street, would I be like, hi Alexander? Like does he legitimately I think go you would by say his hi, full President name? Cartwright? Hello, Mr. President. I don't know. Um, but he, he came out and he spoke briefly. I feel like it's it's always these kinds of events. He'll he'll come out and speak because it's his I guess his place as the university's president. 
but he like never wants to talk for long. And it's kind of understandable because I think he understands people aren't really there. This is like, gonna sound so mean, but why not just throw out there? He always comes out. I'm just kind of like, okay, like get, okay. yeah, that's, like, that's, that's why he doesn't speak for that long though. Because I just because you know it's kind of like you know how it's gonna go. Like he says interesting stuff like sometimes, but it's like he's gonna come out and talk about like the academics and stuff, yeah. which is important, but it's not necessarily what we're there for. You right. know, so it's kind of like let's get to the cool stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, what I have written down for him is his his whole thing was about UCF wanting to unleash potential in the classroom, on the field, in the community, all that stuff. And he did say, 29 semesters in a row now with all athletes making a 3.0 GPA, which is very impressive. We talked about that last year on, on the Charge On Tour recap podcast about how insane, like, not insane, but how, how good it is that UCF is so dialed in in the classroom and that's such a big priority for them. Um, but yeah, after after Cartwright spoke, uh, then we got to hear from Terry Mohajer, who... I don't remember. I don't. I, we've talked about this. I don't remember a lot from last year for some reason. Um, did he speak longer last year? Yeah, his was say, pretty it short. It seemed like he he was not talking for that long. I gotta time. I gotta say something because there's a thing on Twitter yeah, now that you, I did not see. You're making a face, and I was like, yeah. So wrong. this is a tweet by Mike uh, at MD Night 2016. Who he tweeted interesting comment from UCF AD Terry Mahajer on UCF's booster tour in Oviedo. He and Miami's AD had been talking about scheduling a series, but Mario Cristobal killed the talks. Oh. That was just not said on stage or anything. No, that so, was that had to have been said to someone. I he wonder must have if... said that to media because he talked. Oh. With me, he he talked with media before he came on stage. I was stage. wondering if he just said it to someone and then. I don't. Maybe he did. I don't know. So that's um. Hilarious <laughs> for like a lot of reasons, and that feels like that in itself could be a whole podcast. But sorry, I saw that and was like, have to mention that. What's up, Titan Kane? That literally the first reply to Mike's tweet is someone adding Titan Kane. <laughs> so who we've discussed on for, before he'll, we like uh, we we find that guy. He'll we, deny it. Something's up there. He's like a UCF fan grad or something. Something's weird. Is. But anyway, so yeah, just on top of all that, um, Miami and UCF were gonna play until Mario Cristobal said, "Wait a minute, that might be bad for Miami since they'll lose." <laughs> and now it's not gonna happen. Oh, I'm actually kind of sad about that. That's Isn't not that, the first both, time that's, that's happened. By that the was way. both last year. Both of us, when we talked about potential non-conference opponents, we both picked them last year. Yeah. And we like when we did that podcast again this year with like an updated list. We like said we couldn't pick last year's, but if we were going to, I would have picked Miami again. Listen, I want to play Miami. We can call them cowards, but you know why Miami said no to that because of what just happened to Florida. Yeah. That's why Miami said no because it wasn't just losing to UCF; it was recruits turning their heads to UCF. It was the whole narrative around UCF shifting. What do you mean? Like, I feel like we're already competing with Miami for some recruits. We the Henderson Twins, right. Miami was going hard after the Henderson Twins and they ended up at UCF. I in total fairness, I think a big part of that was because they kind of saw the writing on the wall with Diaz, but yeah. either way, it's still I mean that my, Miami there is absolutely positively no upside if to you're, UCF. If you're a Miami fan, you try to defend yourself like, well, they they didn't commit because like our coach was like our coaching situation was in disarray like cool, that's not really a defense. That's more of like more reason of proving why they can make whatever excuse they yeah. want. It, our, our AD, uh, well, I need to go find the source of that now and see if that. Like, <laughs> hopefully this was true. Trusting you, Mike. Hope you're right. Because, um, like, what are Miami fans ever like? Uh, all they can say is, "Well, they were lying," and that's probably what they'll default to. Because there is no defense for that being the case. Like, Miami was afraid to play UCF, and they it didn't could on. easily. I mean, because remember we had the whole thing between Danny White and Florida's AD, and then like you could actually fact check that they did like records requests, didn't they? And they came out with the yeah, emails. but Danny White looked worse than that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So like that yeah. came out to prove Danny White wrong. So if, if they really want to pull records and say like, have they actually been talking about it? So like, here's the BS I don't know why with he'd that. Go out on the on a limb and feel like why would he come out and say it? Here's the BS with that. UCF athletics operates as technically a private institution, which is kind of some like Florida law BS. But like so, even though UCF is a public university, UCF athletics is technically a private institution. Mm-hmm. Which means that it is very difficult. So Florida, we're going to do a legal podcast. 
Florida has very broad sunshine laws, which is a very good thing, meaning media can request all kinds of government documents. I'm going to let you guys in a little secret. You know how Florida Man is a big thing? Like, oh, there's all these crazy Florida Man stories? Yeah. It's because of Florida's sunshine laws. Media here can request full police reports. You can't do that in other states. So yeah. that's why that happens. But anyway, so UCF Athletics, it is really hard to get information from them because they have this whole shield where they say, well, we're really private, so we're not subject to sunshine laws. Which was why the Danny White thing was such BS to me, because I, I don't know this for a fact, but... The, the only, like UCF did not legally have to release that. And if I had to guess, I would say that Danny White told media, hey, you should request something. Like, you should ask for a public records request involving Florida in a series. Because I think he wanted that out there. And even his emails to Strickland were framed like a press release. Like, he yeah. was like, Scott, this is what's great for college <laughs> football. And, like, in the favorites, like, it was just weird yeah. and unusual. So, I just... I know UCF fans and Florida fans go back and forth on that. I'm sorry, but Florida's on the right there. That was complete BS on Danny White's part. I thought it, he came across as kind of silly in that. But yeah. anyway. It's kind of silly. He did. Um, but, all right, we're off on like 19. Speaking of now. silly, speaking of silly, uh, Terry Mohajer gave everyone a report card at, at the uh, Charge on tour. That was a little weird. <laughs> it was. It was a little weird. It's audience participation. I get what he's, what he's getting at. And he's just basically bragging on the, the and, and talking about what the athletics program or what the athletics, yeah, the athletics department has done over the last year or so. Talking about, you know, he was all the things that he was asked and talked about last year around this time, you know, were we ever going to get a new conference? He said, check. Academic success, they've been great in the academic and the classroom. Check. Athletic success, obviously they've won conference championships, had a lot of big wins, big moments. Check. And then fundraising, he, he did mention that they've had, they had the most donors and the most donations last year than any other year in the history of the program. Um, and I feel he, like I need to make clear that Terry Mahadur was not the one saying check. He would have the entire crowd yeah. shout check every time he said one of these things, which was slightly cultish, but the crowd seemed <laughs> to like it. So, um, And then one thing they talked about a lot last year, and he talked about it a lot last year with the whole um, NLI till you die thing about you know getting, getting your student-athletes jobs and grad school placement like after they're done playing and everything. And sounds like so far that's off to a great start. He said there was 100% job placement for student-athletes and in grad school, so jobs in grad school. 100% of student-athletes that graduated found found somewhere. It's pretty cool. Yes, that's, pretty a good, cool. that's a really good thing. We talked about that I last said it year. on it's last like, year's, but that is something that for most schools is not only an afterthought, it's just not important. I mean, it's very yeah. much like a relationship of you're an athlete, we're going to use you, and then you're just kind of discarded. And the fact that that's not the case at UCF, and that was a Mahajer thing that he brought yeah. in from Arkansas State is awesome. I know academically UCF has always like stressed that with their student-athletes, but it's a Mohajer thing specifically that he came in and said, we're going to get these kids and jobs. part of that, and we'll get into this with some of the stuff that Gus said, but it always bothered me especially, and we talked about this before, like I'm not trying to rewrite history and say Danny White was a bad AD, because Danny White was not a bad AD. Danny White was a great AD, and above all, he could hire amazing coaches, which is the most important job of an AD by far. But one thing that always rubbed me the wrong way is Danny White very much had the attitude, and this isn't even even really exaggeration, that UCF athletics under him operated as if the program and school did not exist before 2016. <laughs> and I'm serious. Yeah. They really did. There was they, they didn't want to claim any history before Danny White. And I didn't understand that because there was a lot of good history there. And part of that was under Hypo and even under Frost, even though people have rewritten that a little bit, alumni weren't really it's not that they weren't welcomed back like if an alumni wanted to come back or watch practice they could but there was no outreach there there was yeah. there wasn't an effort it was just kind of and a lot of alums lost touch with UCF in that span and Gus Malzahn and Terry Mahadra have both made that like a priority yeah is let's bring people back Gus ta I don't want to jump ahead but Gus talked about Dante Culpepper when he was on yeah. stage and said he's been leaning on Culpepper to be a bigger part of things and that's that is a huge part of growing up as a university and like being a power five school. That's that's a huge part of that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't. You have great history like that. You want to tap into it. Uh, the last thing that Mohajer kind of just like left off on was in terms of that report report card. He was always asked about 
playing the Florida Gators and scheduling a series with them. Would you do a two for one? Would you do a three for one or whatever? And he said, of course, that was a check because UCF beat them in the Gas Grill Bowl. And he said that he always said last year, his answer was always, well, whenever we do play them, we're going to beat their ass. And so he said check after that. He had the crowd say check after that. Of course, there's more um, coming on that. The uh, It's a three-game series, right? I keep thinking for some three reason games. it was two. One um, of those games isn't happening until like the decade why. after this one. I think one, that's so. why. I think I'm just like, oh, there's the two that are like kind of in, in the distant, like in the near, near future. Both but, in Gainesville. Yeah, in the future one in Orlando that... Is. First one's coming in 24, which is honestly not that far away. No, it's, I mean, that's, no, it's year two, probably, of the Big 12. Big 12 year two, yeah. That'll be probably the first year that Texas no use. That's actually a pretty important game just for the Big 12 brand in UCF. Yeah. Um, so from there, they brought out some of the fall Olympic coaches or fall sports Olympic coaches. Uh, Scott Calabrese, Tiffany Sahedak from women's soccer, and Todd Dagenet from uh, volleyball. And just kind of going down the line here, each of them, I think this was, it was a different, little bit different of a format this year. It kind of seemed like. They all spoke in like shorter chunks, and it was like they didn't. I remember last year, if I came away with like everyone was kind of releasing or like giving out some of the non-conference opponents that they had coming up the, the next season. And this year, the only one to do that was uh, Coach the Haydack from women's soccer. But Calibri said, you know, basically this this year they're turning over almost their entire roster with 15 new players. Um, but he said that they've been recruiting well, and they're like they think they're gonna have a really good season. Which will be interesting. I mean, it's kind of we'll get on to men's basketball later, but it's kind of a similar situation there. Is like they're it's a it's a new team, and they're all going to have to gel together very quickly. Um, and men's soccer have been kind of on this high, and last year did not really live up with expectations. Both the soccer teams in fall, which was kind of a surprise, and it's kind of interesting they've gone in different directions because Calabrese talked about how um, you know his soccer team is you know they're kind of like replacing everybody, and he talked about they have 15 new guys coming in, and then Sahadak talked about how for. Her, it's like, oh no, everybody's back, so we're going to be good. So I kind of think I, that'll be interesting to kind of watch those teams because they both had disappointing seasons and went in like remarkably different directions on how to course correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he, he talked about a little bit because he was asked about the how the whole athletic department is moving to the Big 12. And of course, men's soccer isn't sponsored by the Big 12. So UCF men's soccer is going to the Sun Belt. And he was just kind of talking up the conference, you know, West Virginia. And he, he made the joke that. They'll play West Virginia, and he said that one game is going to decide the Big 12 Men's Soccer Championship. He said, we'll have we'll have a trophy, we'll have t-shirts. What was funny was, that sounds like a joke, but he didn't say it in a joking voice. He just well, straight, yeah, I think he was he straight just, up, just like, we're going to play West Virginia, and that will be the Big 12 Championship. And everyone laughs, he goes, we're going to have a trophy. We're going, going to have a trophy and hats, yeah, and all that stuff. Um, so he's talking about West Virginia being a top 25 school, or top 25 program. Kentucky being top 25. they got South Carolina in the conference, and Marshall, who won the uh, national championship in 2021 we talked about this on a past podcast that is top to bottom a really good soccer league and a much harder one than UCF currently plays in I think it's gonna be fun though it's gonna be a lot of fun it's also like this is probably like a negative for some fans but like all of UCF's teams have been in the AAC which is actually kind of rare most programs have to put a team somewhere else and so we basically just play the exact same teams in every sport like developing some like I don't know, maybe like a little mini rivalries, at least in men's soccer, of some other teams that we don't usually yeah. have reaction interactions with. I like that. That's one of the things I'm looking forward to, though, in the, in just moving to the Big 12, is I've gotten so tired of playing these teams in the AAC. Just, like, I'm tired well, of playing Temple, I'm tired of Tulsa, Tulane, like, I'm tired of... It's just no, none, of it, like, none of it gets me, like, excited. The difference is the AAC is, was not, not a bad football league by any means, but... It got boring because, unlike the Big 12, the same teams in the AAC were always good and the same teams were always bad. Like, for yeah. the last decade in that league, which is how long UCF's been in, Memphis is a big game. Cincinnati's a big game. And for that decade, it's like, 
the Navy games, whatever, the Tulane games, whatever, East Carolina's, whatever. It's like there's just no movement there. Yeah. Versus in the Big 12, it's like, A, it's much bigger brands, obviously, and cooler teams to play. But also, like, there will be a year where the TCU game's really important because TCU's coming into the bounce house at 8-1. and one, Yeah. And then there will be another year where it's Oklahoma State or Kansas State, you know? Yeah. And I, I think it's just going to keep things a lot more fresh, you know? I can't wait for that. I'm yeah. excited. Um, so, yeah, I was kind of Also, it. sorry, I got to Go say, ahead. this is actually a bad thing. But it, all the other thing about the Big 12 is there's just not really off games. Like, every program outside of Kansas yes. has been a top 25 team within the last few years. So, like, yeah. it, it, it's not like the AAC where, and again, UCS benefited from this, but there can be, like, a literally five-week period where you just don't play anyone who's worth playing. You know, like, it's like, it was like every now and then you get that stretch where, unfortunately, it's like, oh, we've got four and five Temple this week, and then, like, five and six East Carolina What was it at the week, end of... Yeah. Was it 2018 where it was, I think it went Temple and then Navy and then USF. Then, oh, no, Cincinnati was in there. But it was Temple. No, because Temple was, was also good that year. Were they? Oh, they were good that year. That was, like, not that long ago, but it feels like they haven't been good in forever. That year, Temple went 8-5, and five, but 7-1 and one in the AAC. They had a couple years. Well, because they had the one year, too, they played in the AAC championship game. It was 2016, right? They won it in 2016. Did they really win it? Yeah. It feels like that didn't happen. <laughs> like it just, it, I don't know. Like it doesn't seem like it. It was not that long ago, but it feels like I, I can't remember them being good. In 2016, Temple went 10 and four. They beat Navy in the AAC championship, and, and that was when this, that was them getting in the AAC championship that year um, over USF, right? Because we lost to Temple. Yes, and let me explain <laughs> to you what 2016 was. 2016 was that UCF and Cincinnati weren't good yet, so the AAC had to settle for a Temple Navy <laughs> conference is, championship. Yeah. I mean, that's really that's what that was. That is weird because yeah, I remember. Yeah, Cincinnati. UCF beat Cincinnati twenty-four to three yep. to qualify for a bowl game. Yeah, UCF went bad. six and seven that year, and Cincinnati went four and eight. And yeah. then those two teams have won every single AAC championship except twenty nineteen. Since that, uh, since that day. Anyway, that back, year, not that on. day. This is like this is an all-time tangent podcast. Wait, it's just it's kind of one of those things. I think I don't know if it happens when we get together in person or if it's just kind of. I think this kind of night, like the Charge on Tour, kind of lends itself to yeah. going off on tangents. Pretty it's much. Like, a wide range of topics are covered. Okay, but so. to be fair, this tangent started with men's soccer is going to play in the Sun Belt and yeah. ended with how did Temple win the AAC in 2016. <laughs> so that was a hell well, of a tangent. When you put it like but... that. <laughs> but anyway. Um, anyway, Coach Robert Zahedak from uh, women's soccer. Previously coached by uh, Calabrese. Yeah, which I... What? I don't know. Okay, so listeners, at one point during the Charge On Tour, Zahedak just said, by the way, Calabrese used to be my coach like 15, 20 years yeah. ago. Yeah. He, he coached her professionally in the first women's pro league. It was the WUSA, and it was like a championship team. And Calabrese was like, yeah, she was a great player, great leader, was like really carried that team. And I was like, how do we not know this? I'm like, how has that Calabrese never come Calabrese has up? been here for, what, five or six years now? I have a prediction. What? I think they didn't know or forgot. You think so? I do. Because they did the Charge On Tour together last year, and that never came up, and they yeah. made a whole thing of it this year. Maybe it was just like, like she found an old picture, like one of them found an old picture, and like, wait, that's... Yeah, because he yeah, wasn't yeah. the head coach. He was just a coach on the staff. So Here's I could totally see tangent. if he just forgot. Here's another tangent. I like got became friends with this kid in third grade one time. Like, we became really good friends in you elementary. You became friends with him one time? No, well, no. We, like, so in third grade, we became friends, and like throughout elementary school and middle school, we were really good friends. Um, turns out, like, a couple, like, after we had been friends for a few years, I looked at, like, one of my old, like... So I was a soccer team when I was like three or four years old. He was on that team, and I had no recollection of him. That's really team. funny. So it's like similar. Like maybe it could have been something like that. Where yeah, like it's she the saw exact same was thing. Like, she saw something and was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, that's weird. Um, but anyway, she talked about their last season and said, like, they had some big wins early on, which they did. And then she said, we dropped off in conference, which I'm not happy about. And she really sounded not happy about it. Um, but she said they only lost one senior, and the majority of the team coming back um, is coming back. And they have some, some grad transfers coming in. She sounded pretty positive about the group they have. 
So they're going to be playing, again, they're going to be playing some top five and top ten teams. Did say they're going to open up against Florida at home. Um, so that was the one piece of like non-conference scheduling news that we did get from any of the coaches this year. Uh, she did say also, too, that they beat Florida State in the spring. They were down 2-0 and came back and won 3-2. Florida State won the national championship last year. So, like she said, obviously she made it the joke, like, oh, I guess we're the spring national champions. But she more said, like, that kind of – and they tied with the Orlando Pride and said, like – she's like, yeah, like, those – the spring doesn't really count for anything, but it does count for our mentality and that that's the group that's coming back. I'm going to be honest. That's more a bad look for the Pride than a good look for it's the UCF. Not, it's not great. I can't, I can't say I, um, it's great. One of my – I covered the Orlando Pride for a couple years for the Orlando Sentinel that so like I know firsthand how disappointing that team can be <laughs> and that was really just when she said that I'm just kind of like oh, like, oh man, man. <laughs> you're like less of like oh that's good for you yeah like, it was more like are you kidding me like, like, like I'm like come on um so from there Todd Dagenet spoke um and was saying that this is actually really like a massive thing and I, I, I kind of I think they wanted to make this point because like they probably figured this out I was like that's pretty cool that your volleyball team's in a unique position to do something no collegiate team has ever done before because I don't think it's been possible before. Um, but because of the COVID year, they have three players that are coming back for their fifth season. And, you know, they, he said there's been players, the way that he explained it, I'm going to explain it in a very poor way. But basically, these three players have played all, well, we have played all five years. Like, not just like Ben Red. They're not just on the, on the team or team. whatever. They They're played like contributors in, games in five if, straight yeah, years. And if, if they win the conference championship, it, they'll be the first three players to win play on a team and win five conference championships consecutively in their careers. Which, barring some dramatic shakeup in the AAC, uh, not softball, AAC volleyball <laughs> world, I'm not aware of. I think they are like the heavy, heavy favorites to you win You would imagine so. I mean, that, that's been a few years. Like, because there, there was a time where there was like them and Cincinnati had a really, really good player. I forget her name, but she was like an Olympic uh, player, Olympic caliber player. And so it was like kind of a battle atop the volleyball standings. But the last volleyball th- lost a single match in the AAC last yeah, year. Yeah. And the year before that, they didn't, like, I think maybe the two years before that, they didn't lose one. Yeah. And so it had been kind of just, it's been a dominant run for the last few years. So. It's ridiculous how good that program it's is. Crazy. I'm very curious how they do in the Big 12. That's going to be fun. Yeah. All the women's teams are just so set up right now. They it's are. Really cool. They are. And then so one last thing Dajane was asked about, and just a couple of coaches were asked about this, and I think it's just something that UCF wants to drive home is that the synergy between like, the coaches and the athletic department in general were like, the coaches all support each other, and it's one of those things. Like I think we talked about, it. they talked about it. Just I think we got gathered we've talked that about it a few times. We've gathered that just from seeing them interact, and so like this is like a kind of a, something that doesn't seem like it happens everywhere else. And I think Dajna even said like, there's a lot of programs where like the women's sports are kind of just like oh they're off the side like they're the women's sports, and like there's no kind of collaboration or like rooting interest for for each other. And he said like he texted Coach Bear earlier today, who's like off to Oklahoma for the Super Regionals, was like oh good luck, we're thinking about you, like. That kind of stuff, it's like, that's what I feel like makes UCF unique. As like, it gives everyone a kind of like a, it's just like a family feel where yeah. it's not like just everything's detached. And I honestly, I thought that women's comment was interesting because that was a point I made when we talked about this in the past where I didn't know, but I just wondered. I said, is it because UCF treats its women's sports so seriously? And a lot of schools don't. A lot of schools, the women's sports are just there to fulfill Title IX and that's it. And yeah. that's not good. But that is the case at a lot of places, and it's not the case at UCF. And honestly, like, the coaches are all on stage together. They're, like, laughing with each other, whispering stuff to each other while the other's talking. So, like, act like, punched Dagenet at one point because Dagenet like, uh, gave a shout-out to his, like, associate head coach. And then she was like, you're making me look bad. I coach with my husband, and I didn't say anything about him. She punched him to the point that I thought he might fall out of his chair. Like, like she there punched was him, and he kind of just went, like, he kind of, like, rubbed his shoulder. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't, couldn't tell if it was a joke or not because it looked like it was a hard punch. It did look like a hard punch. But I just, you do just genuinely love to see that. Because I, and even, I think Gus even made a comment about it. It's just yeah. there's a lot of schools where, like, 
And I'm not saying one's better than the other, even though UCF's way is better. That, like, I just, having I that... Is, I think you can't say one's better. You just, can't. Well, I think some people would say that... I, I think some people of schools that are the other way would counteract that with, you can't... It doesn't matter. It doesn't change how the teams play, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. I'm like, I think it does. I think knowing that you have a support system at your university that goes beyond just the players on your team and the fans that are your fans, It's and it's like the whole, the whole athletics department from the AD to the other coaches are behind you, rooting for you, and... I, we've we've uh, athletes before we've talked about how the the players from different programs are friends and it's just yeah. like that it, it, it makes a difference. Yeah, I mean there was there was baseball players at the softball super, uh, regional last last weekend. Gotten a little bit of trouble there, um, but you know. Whatever. <laughs> um, so yeah, from there they brought out uh, Emily Marin from women's golf and Becky Kramer from the US, UCF rowing team. Marin, who just killed and buried. Yeah, you think USF? Someone needs to check on them. Um, she, I have the quote here because they were talking. I don't even remember. She just brought it up on prom today. No she? one was talking about USF, and she like talked for about thirty seconds about what USF is a nothing program. Yeah, and she was like, I don't. She was basically like, Yeah, we beat USF, but like that's kind of just what we do. She said it's not. Much, she's talking about the war on I four, like all sports show. But she said it's not really a thing anymore. We just win every year. I don't like them much. And everyone was just kind of like, oh, all right. It was, it was one of those things where it was so brutal that people didn't even clap right away. There was just a silence fell like, upon the crowd, and everyone right. was like, whoa. <laughs> like, it, was, it was intense. It was one of my favorite quotes of the night, I think. It was my favorite quote of the night. <laughs> um, other than that, yeah, just Becky Kramer was talking about the rowing team. And I think one thing that was kind of funny was she said, like, because the rowing team's massive. And she was like, has like 50, she's like, something like 54 players are coming back or something like that. And then that led Marin to be like, I have like seven girls. I don't even know all their names. Um, which I, thought I was felt like funny. the PA announcer the, or the MC yeah. came dangerously close to asking her if she knew the name of all 54 players. I don't know if he knows that, but he almost yeah, he was like, like you, can, you can name all 54. He's pretty impressive. And then you can tell he was like, he, you can tell that he was about to phrase it as a question and pivoted midway through to a statement because he was like, you can name all you can name all 54 of them. Yeah, I mean, it, it comes, probably comes to mind. I was like, well, we're gonna be here for a while. She's just sitting well, here like, oh, then there's there's this person. But let's be serious. I, I don't think I can name 54 people like in my life. I, That's a lot I, of people. <laughs> I did what I just did with the MC did where I was kind of like in my mind I was like what should I just try to do it on the podcast right now? Um, <laughs> but like I just don't like, think that's, that's a, like that's a podcast for later in the summer. Like, are you legitimately telling me that about. Gus Malzahn knows the name of every single UCF football player? No, he talked. What, what was the tight end? I don't even remember his name now. But he's like our, oh, our tall tight our end, tall young freshman. Yeah, he's our like tall, our tall young freshman. freshman. He didn't yeah. know that guy's. He name. put a guy in the game. He didn't even know his name. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a lot of names. It's a lot of names. Oh man. Um, so from there, that's when we got um, Johnny Dawkins and Satya Messer coming out. Um, a stark like difference. It just felt it just felt weird because last year we talked. Uh, we list, both listened to our Charge On Tour recap podcast, and we talked for a while about how the dynamic between Dawkins and Coach Abe was like they were like a buddy cop show. Yeah, and so like just to for for it to be so different this year. But even saying that, Satya Messer like she just got a, she's an infectious personality. Like she's I the already best. I liked her from like the jump when they hired her, but like getting to hear her speak in person and just listening to the way she talks and and talks about the program and everything. It's you know, I have, I have some of the quotes that she had here, but we'll we'll start with Dawkins, I guess. Um, I um, well, I just gotta say on Messer real quick yeah. while we're on that. Like, I was very openly critical both on this podcast and on Twitter of how I felt Mahadra was not just handling the coaching search, but handled a believing. And I gotta say, like, I Messer, like, I didn't believe that UCF was capable of landing a coach of that caliber. Yeah, we talked about it, like when her name was floated out there by that one, um, the one outlet that. I that never I'd never heard of before. Yeah, and I was like, like, this just is like, not I can't, true. You're like, I can't imagine they would ever be able to get her to come to UCF. And here she is. And then she said at this, she said UCF had her at hello. She yeah. was like, a program that's this good going to the Big 12, it's done. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, Dawkins uh, came out to not the best applause from the crowd. He definitely got the least applause of any coach, which made me he? Up, Yes, he 100% did, which made me upset. It was even more starkly by then they announced Messer 10 seconds later and everyone's like whooping and stuff and like, yeah. yeah and, 
And then, of course, everyone, then Dawkins says, like, oh, you know, we just signed our top recruit in school history. And everyone goes, oh, and starts clapping. Yeah, it was... And it's like, wow, none of you follow basketball. But, you know. <sighs> so annoying. That was I frustrating. I didn't want to, yeah, I didn't want to go there. Um, I, I was planning to bring it up because it bothered me. But um, he did say, like, he was talking about this past year. And you could tell that he was, like, he was disappointed with the way it went. And he said, like, they had injuries, they had some COVID stuff. But he said, we, he said, we had a good year. He said, we want special years and great years, but it was a good year for the group we had. Because they did. They went, again, went through some adversity. And it just seems like nothing seems to be going to plan. Like, with the year before was all the, the year that got literally just derailed by COVID. They didn't practice for 11 days. Like, it just seems like there's always something. Because even the year before they went to the tournament with that, that historically good team, they were supposed to be good the year before. And they had, like, three massive injuries within the first couple weeks of the season. And nothing, you know, it just seemed like they couldn't recover from there. So, yeah. it just seems like such a string of bad luck. And he's obviously, like... He's had good good players, good teams. He's got two of the best. So they, they were really talking about the Hendricks twins, Taylor and Tyler. Which Taylor and, in particular is a big yeah, guy. Yeah, Taylor is the highest rated high school recruit coming in as a freshman. Because the, the MC said something about that. And he was like, and then Dawkins made, made a point. was like, well, CJ Walker is the, the highest rated player to ever come to UCF. And so for them to be on the same team, I mean, it's the highest rated player and the highest rated incoming freshman. Like, that, I mean, for the people that are like so anti-Dawkins or so out on Dawkins, like, that doesn't just happen by accident. They didn't just come to UCF in spite of Johnny Dawkins. And the thing is, like, well, no, they didn't. They came here because of him, not exactly. in spite of him. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. UCF like, does not have a brand as a basketball program, so any recruit who's choosing to come to UCF is choosing to come here for the coach. They're not coming here for the program or the school or the history because there is none, except for literally John, Johnny Dawkins continues to own the only postseason success in UCF men's basketball history. Yeah. But let's get rid of him. Yeah. So you look at, I mean, they, but they've got an interesting core this year, honestly. You got Darius Johnson, who just came off an awesome freshman he's campaign. Be so good. You got CJ Walker, who's an elite defender. We'll see if he can ever get anything going on offense. But I think he's got one or two years left. And then you got Taylor Hendricks coming in. And it's like that that's an interesting core. Like, will that team go like make waves in the tournament? I don't know. But at least and especially with Darius and Hendricks both being young, it's like that. I don't know. I see a lot of upside for this team. Well, the thing too is if Walker does, I mean, you never know what happens with the transfer portal. This like this this day and age, but if Walker does have two years left, which I think he technically can, this could be a huge year like for them to all develop and grow as a team. And then you could be looking at next year where Darius Johnson's a junior, Taylor Hendricks is a sophomore, and Walker's coming back. That's like you've got that core with that's already had a year playing together, and that's that's when you kind of start talking about like a team that can make some noise in the conference and potentially in the NCAA tournament. Exactly, and that's why I almost want to caution people in advance because I really do, and I hope I'm wrong, but I think that, and this is always the thing that you hate to say when you're coming off a season that didn't meet fan expectations, but I think this season could very much be the foundational year for another 2019-like season Yeah. in, uh, what would that be, 23-24? Yeah. Yeah, I think that year could be like, when you have, like you just said, you have Johnson, who at that point will likely be very good, Hendricks will likely be very good, and Walker in his final year. I think that group plus what Dawkins adds in the interim could be really interesting. The caveat, of course, all what I just said is the transfer. Like, Dawkins talked about this, like, with the way things are now, like, there's so much turnover on the roster from year to year with the transfer portal, but they just kind of have to adapt with it and, and, and roll with the punches, um, which, I mean, they ha- they've done. They've had some guys, some outgoing guys this year that, you, of course, didn't want to lose, but he's brought in some guys as well. And There were also, this, why is his name escaping my mind now? Um, Major UCF basketball player whose name is just left. Darren Green? No, not Green. Um, well, Oh, we have to go through all the players they lost in the portal. Um, Isaiah Adams. Oh, yeah. Isaiah Adams. I don't know why his name left my mind. People were really, really pissed that he entered the portal. And I'm like, did you guys watch him play this year? Yeah, did you remember what, like, everybody all year was, like, blaming him for the reason they were bad? And he was probably one of the reasons they were. But 
he like he wasn't the freshman Isaiah Adams that he was last year, and that was that held them back in a lot of times. So yeah, it was just it's just funny when you you run, when, the, whenever, run into that. I don't mean like, to like go after an athlete. And I hope that doesn't come across as what I'm doing, but just like whenever you're like really pissed at your coach for losing a player to the portal and then that player transfers to Buffalo, maybe you need to do some <laughs> introspection on like why you were upset. It's more Darren yeah, Green just, was bad, but also it's FSU and it's NIL, so what are you going to yeah. do, you know? It's just the switch up where it's like all year you're like, "Oh, Isaiah Adams needs to play better, blah blah blah." But I think he did play like he played better down the stretch. He started He really didn't. He had like one game where he finally snapped out of it and everyone was like, "Oh, I think he got hurt right after." Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, all that aside, whatever. Um, yeah, we're down the right. Re- we're again, we're just down the <laughs> defending Dawkins. They're board. talking about. If we do that, what was that last week? When was that? It was last week. Yeah, it was last week. We should do it every. Thank week. you for tuning in to the weekly defending Johnny Dawkins podcast. It has a ring to it. Um, <laughs> he did talk like a little bit about the Big Twelve. He didn't really say much. He kind of just said going to the Big Twelve is enhancing their brand, and you know, it's, it's allowing them to attract the right players and the right people. And one thing he did like make a big point of because you could kind of tell. I think he. I don't know. There was kind of like undertones of him knowing that people were like disappointed of where men's basketball is right now because he was like asked about you know his time in Orlando and he was saying like how much he's been welcomed and how much him and his family love it here and he's like thankful for the community that welcomed him when he got here and he said we want to turn around and, and give that like return the favor and give you guys some special yeah. moments and some special seasons. Um, so I feel like he's kind of like maybe unfairly feeling a lot of the pressure right now. Well, I'm uh, sure he is, because the other thing is, like, we don't know how Mahadra feels about Dawkins, yeah. but, like, also, the AD who hired you is no longer here. Yeah. And I, I don't, you know, that's a precarious situation to be in. And I also, like, I don't know how much, like, history Mahadra is taking into account. Like, is Mahadra coming in and saying, hey, you know, UCF was, you know, they had their best season ever under this coach just a few years ago, or is he coming in and being like, I've been here for one season, and in that season we had yeah. a really good non-conference start and then fell apart down the stretch, you know? And yeah. So, I, I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? But on the women's basketball front, Satya Messer is just a gem of a human being. She is. It's. It. She was talking about one of the first things she said was that because uh, she had fourteen family members at her introductory press conference, and she said she thinks of herself as the number one aunt in America. So she gets to spoil all of her, her nieces and nephews and sends them right home, which is always like I, I just I don't know. I legitimately don't know. Joke like I don't think I have fourteen family members total. I mean, I don't know your family tree, so you're like you're, you're saying that. I'm like, I, well, I'm not but, saying it. I'm not asking you for no, validation. I know, I know. I'm, I'm just like, saying, like, like that's like know. she had more family members at her like introductory press conference <laughs> than I think I have. Period. Um, but yeah, she was talking about how she was how excited she was about the recruiting class they brought in, and and shouted out some of the four. She said the four transfers they brought in, and she said that they've got some more that they've signed that they're waiting for paperwork from. Which was interesting. Which yeah, so like that's something to keep. In. You remember because like when they announced the transfers for women's basketball, it was all the same day. Yeah, so I'm wondering if we're gonna get that. In it, was a the, it was the when, same. It was the same minute. Yeah, it was like all in the same. Like within a few minutes of each other. Like, oh, welcome this person. Welcome this person. So I'm wondering if we're gonna get another day like that sometime soon. So I don't mean to call out the MC from the show, <laughs> and I don't even completely know who they were. But it was not Mark Daniels. It was someone else who said it like before the coaches came out three separate times that Satya Messer has been here for two weeks. Yeah, she's like, oh, she's only been here like, like a month, brand maybe new. even a couple. She kept saying the yeah, brand, brand new head coach, and then he brought her out on stage and said, "You've only been here for two weeks." How's it going? She's been here for two months. Yeah. She was hired two months ago. I like I'm I was so baffled by that. And <laughs> was you made the point you made the point to me where you were like when she was talking about all these players that she signed and all like the staff that she's brought in, was the guy sitting up there kinda like, Man, she's done all of this in a couple weeks. Like, <laughs> I'm like, wow, that's crazy. Yeah. It's more coaches and players weird. than days she's been here. Who um, would have thought? <laughs> yeah, she talked about kind of the style of basketball and she's of course getting to uh, the point where they're playing positionless basketball with players who can play all five positions. Which like, I found very interesting. Yeah, and saying they want to play transitional basketball, which is a departure from 
what we saw um, under Coach Abe with the, you know, the whole you know, their suffocating defense and everything. Which isn't a surprise because Abe's style is A, unusual, and yeah. B, very refined. But it, it, they're just going to look very different. Which, I mean, they're going to look different across the board because everyone transferred. So, yeah. like, it's basically just a, re- a reset for the program. Yeah, and she said, you know, they're coming back and, and they're recruiting, you know, players with character, academics, and basketball. Like, that's, that's the three things she said they're looking for. Um, but she did say, she said, like, we're the brand of the AAC, that we're the defending conference champs, and they know that everybody's gunning for them. I felt like that um, was disingenuous in a way. Like, is everyone gunning for UCF when the players and coach who won that championship are no longer on the team? Like, probably. this is a completely new team. Yeah, but it's still, like, the defending conference champions. I guess. Like, UCF. I guess. Um, I don't think USF cares that it's different players. Well, UC- USF's a rival. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. I'm just like, the, the team right behind you, even if it wasn't USF, if it was yeah. whoever. Um, fell short last year. They're going to look at you and say, "Well, we want to be where you are." But yeah, she actually kind of spoke a little bit more about the Big Twelve. Obviously, she's she's familiar with the Big Twelve. I don't think I realized this. She said that in eight years at Baylor, she was a part of eight regular season conference champion teams. That's which a I lot. just like that just seems insane. Um, but she's obviously familiar, and she said, um, you know, that they're playing. You know, they they want to recruit the right people and, and make noise in the Big Twelve. And that's what she said, like the, the quote you mentioned earlier, she said she said their winning foundation that they have and the fact that they're going to the Big 12, she said it was a no-brainer for her to come to UCF. And she said, they had me at hello, which even hearing that, I was like, I'm still surprised you're here. Yeah, I'm still a little confused, like, but you see the potential clearly. The pedigree so. you have, like it's insane. Like, I feel like you could, coach, you could coach anywhere. And it's like one of those things where you're like, she probably was waiting for the right job. And then for the fact, like UCF, that's, that's a credit to Coach Abe too for building up the program the way she did to leave it to – the you know the, the status that it already has for a coach like Messer to be like yeah I want to coach that. Well, program. speaking of Abe, I mean there were rumors about Messer for multiple SEC jobs this past year, including Georgia. There was some discussion that she may have been offered the Georgia job at one point, or not offered it, but at least interviewed for it. Yeah. So like I, I like again, I'm not entirely sure why she's here, but also I said on last year's podcast I wasn't entirely sure why Abe was still here. Yeah. So maybe I'm just <laughs> missing something as to why the UCF women's basketball program is so attractive to him. There was kind of a funny moment between uh, the two of, uh, of them, Messer and Dawkins, because the MC said something about, you know, obviously Dawkins was, you know, historically good player at Duke, but he said, you know, Coach Messer was part of the um, first ever Final Four team at Arkansas and was, you know, a really good player there. And she said, I wasn't the national of the play- I wasn't the national player of the year right here. And she gestured at Dawkins. So I don't know. I think and they also kind of talked a little bit about like the, the NC brought up this idea of like an inter like a, a men's basketball coaches versus women's basketball coaches uh, game or something in the fall. And uh, that was a funny moment to me. But we can move on now to And Satya pointed out that there is no one who is seven feet tall on her staff. That's true. So um so then we can get on to what was the main event of the evening, of course, was Gus Malzahn uh, coming out to speak. And when he was introduced, uh, the MC was talking about like the, the weather and all that. And he was made, made reference to Malzahn wearing like one of those flowery UCF shirts that he likes to wear, which I love that. I love that's like his thing now because Auburn it was like the the sweater vest and visor. Now he just likes to wear those shirts like in press conferences. Um, but he came out and, and they made a reference to that. And he said the last place I was at, I had to wear a suit, had to be in a suit and a tie. Which is just like, yeah. It's it's funny an how... An event like that for Auburn, like, he, yeah, he had to wear a suit. It's funny how different... I just don't know, because I just kind of always assume that other schools do this type of thing. I know USF does, but, like, all the coaches just seem so positively, like, happy with the fans out there and being out there. And what I thought was interesting with Gus um, was, like, his vibe was so different from last year. Where last year he was kind of... He'd been here for a couple months. He was still very much in, like, salesman mode. Yeah. And, pitching himself to the fan base and making jokes about the Peach Bowl and like I'm on you and this one he just came out 
he just seemed so relaxed, like this was just like any old whatever, and just came yeah. and sat down, and just seemed happy I mean, to said, be there. He was talking about you know him and Christy, which their their wedding thirty fourth wedding anniversary is on Saturday, and it's funny. I, I leaned over to Christian because I remembered that because he said it last year. You know, the, 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 it was around the same week. I think well, it was the same week of uh, the Charge On tour. He said last year, you know, shout out to his wife. You know, this is what they do. Like they do this whole thing together. And that their anniversary is coming up. So, like, even listening back to our podcast from last year, I was like, oh, the anniversary is coming up soon. So when he said that, I was like, I knew it. He literally said, or you, uh, Gus goes, he's like, Christy, where's Christy? And you lean in and said, their anniversary is in a few days. And he goes, my wife, Christy, our anniversary is on Saturday. And I'm like, Bailey, what the hell? I was like, yeah, that, that's, yeah. Which, honestly, it was just great to see Christy out there after the year yeah. that she's had and that family has had. I, I mean, love my them. God. I love, I love them. them so much, too. I mean, they're just great. And they love it. He said, we love it here. And he said, basically, they've got... He said the phrase positive vibes, which I was like, Gus Malzahn, you just get it. Um, <laughs> you know, the transfer class they have coming in, he said that he thinks everyone's really going to love the freshmen they've, they've brought in, um, which, yeah, I mean, it was the best tra- the best freshman, or best, best recruiting class in school history. So. By a fairly decent margin. Yeah. Um, Some really good transfers, too. <laughs> he kept talking about it because they asked him about his comments or what he's been saying where everything sets up really well for him, and he was talking about nine games in florida this year yeah the schedule sets up for them too they're happy they're like they're excited about the team they have and um if this team could just get a freaking linebacker i would be so (laughs) they got one we'll get on to it they could just get a freaking linebacker not from a or from a school i've heard of i would just be so (laughs) confident i mean i Um, I just i will we'll have much time this offseason to discuss ucf football but like man they just they still need a linebacker um he talked about you know, the bounce house being one of the best home field advantages in college football and said, you know, there were three games at least last year where they didn't play very well and the fans, you know, willed them to win late. And we were like, and very quickly, you and I were able to like name the name three. We like this ECU, Tulane, and USF. And honestly, um, just like he seems so genuine about that. And it's true for UCF. I mean, especially like the ones that really stood out to me in that were ECU and Tulane were both like UCF. It wasn't just because the USF game, it was rough, but UCF was more or less in control until that last drive. And for Tulane and ECU, it looked dicey at varying points in those games. And the crowd is just so goddamn loud and so suffocating. And you could see, and you saw it in the R times too, how Gus would just be looking at the crowd and he's like, okay, they're they're helping us out. It (laughs) it made a difference. Yeah, it really did. Um, And this is what you kind of alluded to earlier with the idea of embracing the past. Uh, He was asked about the golf tournament that happened recently and Dante Culpepper was there. And he even said, he was like, Gus said, it was really cool for me to meet, meet Dante Culpepper too. Like he was excited to meet him. And he said, you know, he's trying, he was working on him and trying to get him to, you know, be more involved. And he said, Culpepper told him, that he'll be coming back and speaking to the team during fall camp. And that's always been something where we're like, man, it would be cool if, if Culpepper was around the program more. And like the fact that Malzahn's been the one that's been able to kind of get him to, to come back and, and talk to the team. He said he told the team that, and the team's really excited about it. And That's the thing that UCF fans have wanted for 15 yeah. years. You know? He's and just been absent from the program. He, not more than absent. I mean, he's been completely MIA, and that was his right. I'm not trying to blame Culpepper yeah. at all. I mean, you have, you know, you're a citizen. You know, you do what you want to do. I mean, if you yeah, don't want to be... Not, if you're not, you don't feel like you're welcomed back or you're being invited back, like, if you're not going to, like, go out of your way and be like, yeah, let me come back. Yeah, exactly. It's, so, it's but that culture that Malzahn wants For to Gus to be the one who really finally convinced him, like, hey, come back and impart some of this wisdom and show... I mean, because, I mean, it's like one of those things that we don't talk about a lot is there... I'd love to go look at the stats, but, like, there legitimately, genuinely are not a lot of college football programs that have put two quarterbacks in the first round of the NFL draft. Yeah. I know two doesn't sound like a lot. Outside of the Blue Bloods, there are just not a lot of teams that have done that. Even some of the Blue Bloods don't put quarterbacks. Like, it's... Quarterback's a hard position to... 
to really just pump out elite quarterback all the time. Texas hasn't put an offensive player of any kind in the first round of the NFL draft in more than 15 years now. <laughs> that's a real stat. Well, speaking of that other first round quarterback, someone that's apparently been around the program a lot, which I don't think I knew that. I didn't said, know that either. But he said, you know. "Boy, he goes on Bortles." Uh, Malzahn said he's been super. He's around the complex a lot. He's always talking to the guys. I, I guess like, it's I not that surprising because him and Murray went together to yeah. to I mean, get that they, donation. Yeah, but. they did that, but I just didn't know he's been around. Like that makes me really happy. I love it. <laughs> I love Blake Bortles was like my childhood icon because I was like in high school when he was huge at UCF and that was just like those were the best times. I just like that's the thing is like I would love to see him get a chance to to play again in the NFL. I just it doesn't seem like it's gonna happen. Yeah. So if that's not gonna happen, whatever the role they want to use him in, I would love for him to just be around the program all the time. Like Let, have him have him there pumping up the fans on game days. I don't really care. Hell yeah, honestly, It'd be awesome to have him there. Um, and he's still beloved by like the whole fan base. Oh, I mean, yeah. Everyone loves Bortles. So. Yeah. Um, and then he, he was kind of talking about the team they have and, and how Gus was, obviously, not Bortles. Uh, he was talking about the team that they have and how, you know, how much the players, uh, how much his coaches love the players that they have and how much they, they're, like, just really, really care about their players and said it's a great group of kids. He said he actually talked to Josh Heupel on the phone and thanked him for leaving such a great group of kids behind. Um, which you pointed out was like no one was clapping for Heifel. Like he said that he said like there oh, was even a silence. There was even was a silence like, after, and then he goes, "How about we, you know, clap for our yeah, players?" Yeah, like, let's clap and for our players, clap. and everyone clapped immediately. <laughs> um, I didn't catch this whole thing, so I don't know if I was tweeting something. I don't know what I was doing, but he said something about having two, having an opportunity to have like two hours where they actually get to play. Like, yeah, I looked that up. That's a departure. That must be an NCAA rule change because that's a departure from how it used to I didn't to even work. get the whole thing. Because it used to be you could it. work out in the summer, but he said they can work out with a football now. Yeah, it doesn't sound like they can run practices, right. but at least they can put a – they can, like, Tommy Castellanos can have the football in his hands and Gus can be there helping him. And that's what he said. Like, he said, like, like you're going to see the kind of, like, the, the throwing and catching, like, the – I guess the uh, the connections and all that. Which like, listen, when be... you are in the middle of a quarterback battle, that is valuable. And I think he said it's two hours a week or something. Something like that. Yeah. And I mean, That's it's, very it's one valuable. of those things too that players can do that on their own anyway. And like, they do. They do. Yeah. But having but your have coaches, coaches there, there, that makes a huge difference. Yeah. Especially like I said, especially when you're in a quarterback battle and you can work on that type of stuff throughout the summer. Yeah. Um, even if it's only for a couple hours. The last thing, I don't even think I realized this was the thing. I leaned over and was like, he has a book. So the, the <laughs> MC like brought out Gus's book that he wrote on uh, the spread offense from was it, 03 yep. was when the book was published. And I ordered it on the spot. I didn't even know he had a book. It was on the no huddle um, offense. Yeah, on the no huddle offense. Yeah. Um, and so... He said, I'm living proof that anyone can write a book, which I thought was hilarious. He said, I just he said, I get C's in English. I don't, my spelling's not so good, but um, he said he was living proof. And I just think, on, on the whole, I was thinking about this on the drive over here. Uh, I just, the connection that Gus seems to already have with the fan base, I'll just even, just, I might not speak so broadly, but like with like just the way I feel about Gus Malzahn as a coach and his wife and like his whole family and just the way that they've embraced UCF. There was none of that with with Heifel. There was none of that with even Frost. Like I, I was a, to be completely frank, there was none of that with O'Leary. Yeah, I was a big, I was a big fan of Frost, and obviously those were like, you know, formative years. That was when I, we were in college, and those were like huge years. And it's nothing like taking away from that time, but it was like, yeah, I guess Frost was really like just. And we talked about this before, where he was press conferences. He was always just kind of like, yeah, you know, just just very sheltered and just like very generic with everything. And Malzahn just feels like a real person, and he feels like he Malzahn accessible. In a way. understands like I feel like I can walk up to him and be like oh hey hey coach and yeah he's like oh and going? listen like, part of that is the simple fact that and and like listen let's be 100% real UCF could go 12 and 2 this year and Malzahn could leave for another job that yeah. could happen I know we don't want to admit it but like that's that's a thing that could happen but 
With for uh, the difference is a we don't know if that's the case. Frost and Heupel, we always knew that was the end game for them. Yeah. O'Leary didn't believe that was part of his role as a head coach, and it was a little different back then anyway, except for the end of his tenure. And Malzahn, especially with his age too, I feel like that yeah, played a role. He was just past caring about that type of yeah. stuff. And Malzahn understands that being a head coach is more than coaching the football team. It's more than leading the team. It's more than recruiting. That he is the ambassador for the UCF football program, and that's the role he holds, and that's why people feel that way about him. And I think he understands it. It's why he plays it up so much is that one thing feeds the other. Like, that matters to recruits. When your coach is not selling you the program in a back room, telling you the, how you're going to fit in, but publicly being like, oh, you know, we just got to go one to know. It's like, I, I didn't even mean that as a shot at yeah, Heupel. No, I just I mean, did as a, just... as a coach quote. But, like, Gus gets that it's like, I am the salesman of this program, and I'm going to sell this program every time I'm on a public stage, every time anyone's listening to what I have to say, I'm going to sell UCF. And that's what makes yeah. it different is it just, he just, and I know it's like, I'm not saying Frost and Heupel didn't care about UCF because I'm sure they both cared very much about UCF. It was their job, and football coaches have to work harder than maybe anyone. But, I mean, the multi-million salaries, you know, take the edge <laughs> off, but you know what I mean? And for Gus, it just seems like he just genuinely is so invested in UCF success and cares so much about it happening that you do just feel a connection to him that you don't always feel with your head coach. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a good way to sum it up. And again, this was something I felt at the end of the Charge On Tour last year, and it's the same way I'm feeling now where it's like, really, really enjoyed the event, and now we're hitting the summer where I have to wait. We're just in the... We got some fun podcasts coming up, though. We, we got do. Some stuff yeah, we've about. actually got some stuff planned where, like, we're feel like it's it's kind of bridging like we're feeling like we're bridging the whole gap between now and like when actually we only we need to fill like about. two or three more weeks yeah. right i think we've got almost everything filled yeah. so it should and be so, it's going to be a fun summer we got some fun stuff like, i think by about. like by like mid july we start to kind of get into like the preview stuff and you know just some of the, the more fun i'm looking at our podcast ideas that yeah our first like preview pre-season pod will be july 11th the week of the 11th so that's like a, that's like a little more than a month from now so yeah. and, we, and like i said we've got some fun we've got some fun ones in the interim to go yeah, through so definitely. It'll be a good time. Um, we'll move into the football news here. Um, UCF offered and hosted FCS All-American linebacker Diamante Tucker Dorsey for a visit. Um, but based on today's news of Walter Yates III transferring from Savannah State to UCF, he was previously committed to Middle Tennessee State, um, the fact they added another linebacker and it's not Tucker Dorsey makes us kind of think that's not happening. But kind of felt like a long shot anyway because he visited UCF, and then I think this weekend he's visiting Texas. And then it was the other school. Was it Georgia or was it Texas A&M? It, it was really only ever UCF and Texas from okay. what I understand. But so I, I, it's not over, but it doesn't look good. He might, he might go to Texas it. this weekend and absolutely hate it. He went to Texas already. I thought it was this weekend. No, he went in the middle of the week. Sure, I am 100% sure. Well, you know, I'm sure because I'm looking at his Twitter and he posted photos from his visit and said, just happy I did it. No one ever gave me nothing. Nobody ever gave me nothing. See, he's just happy he visited Texas. He's like, he's happy. I, he's like, I'm happy I went, but like, I'm not gonna stay here. That's that's how I read. Texas's locker room is sick, man. It's got a backlit logo. Sure does. <laughs> I, I, if you have listened to this podcast for a long time, I'm gonna say what I've always said for it, any period of time. Eighty percent to ninety percent of having a cool locker room is having a giant backlit logo. You look at every cool locker room in the country; it is the same old lockers, and it is a giant backlit logo either on the ceiling or on a wall. Char- the Charlotte 49ers just revealed a hundred forty million dollar plan to like I don't know become something. I guess Charlotte wants to like move up in the world. And they- what's in their locker room and their plans? A giant backlit. It bothers Charlotte me logo. that they're the 49ers. Why does that bother you? I don't know. It's just weird. Why is it weird? Because there's a pro team like it's that's like the gold rush was centered in Charlotte. Yeah, but it's just so. I like how you said, yeah, I just made that up. I have have no idea why they're called the 49ers. But either way, I don't know. When you said that, I was like, oh shoot. (laughs) I know because you're just like, yeah, Cincinnati giant backlit logo in their locker room. BYU, Cincinnati known for their Bearcats. (laughs) No, there is a Bearcat in the Cincinnati Zoo. Oh, is there? Yeah. Did you make that up too? No, I'm dead serious. I'm actually (laughs) serious about that one. 
But either way, I'm just saying I can't believe in all of our lazy river plans and we're going to build new seats in the stadium plans. We're going to build a galaxy club or something is what it's called now. <laughs> and we're not going to put a giant backlit logo in the locker room. How much I will, pay, one? I will pay for the giant backlit logo. No, you won't. I, well, I probably won't. I will <laughs> donate towards the giant backlit logo. Let's just get that one? thing in there. No, they don't. They have a small backlit knights with backlit swords on each oh, side above. Yeah. But I need like I'm, this thing needs to be like thirty feet in diameter. Like that that that's what matters. Is you want recruits to take you seriously? Giant backlit logo. I'm not even joking. I'm not even joking. When Tucker Dorsey doesn't come here, I'm going to tweet that it's because that Texas had a giant backlit logo and UCF didn't. And I will at least be partially correct. Also nil. Sure. Uh, uh, recruiting news: UCF's in the top seven. Top seven. What the hell? Top seven for Boone's four-star wide receiver, Aiden Mizell. Uh, they're in there with Florida, Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, Oklahoma, and USC. I could be wrong, but I think UCF was his first offer. I could be wrong on that. Maybe I'm just Never mind. I don't know if I'm, that's right, no. so just ignore that. Okay. But I feel like it um, is. And then UCF's in the top three for Cavalry Day defensive lineman Terry Simmons Jr. He's in the, uh, They're in the top three with Duke and Georgia Tech. And that... Um, that Commitment will be coming in a month. June 25th is his commitment date. Um, potentially those, exciting. Yeah, potentially. Um, some of the other stuff that... It was kind of around the same time last year um, they started talking about how the progress of selling out the bounce house. They said they're 93% sold out for 2022 as of the 24th, which was a couple days ago. Which last June they were at 95%. So I guess You know what it was, though? I, I said, I was listening to the podcast last year for the Charge On Tour. It was also 93% this really? week last year. Really? So I'm wondering if it's just the same number. It really, <laughs> like could, it really like, could be. Here's what we're going to announce like, on the periodic, uh, throughout the different periods. Also, coming, uh, we had dinner last night, me, you, and our friend Sarah. And I told you like before, listening to the podcast on the way over from Tampa, last year during the Charge On Tour, like that week, we knew like five or six kickoff times for the football season, and I was like, why do we know so many, and why don't we know any right now? That was last night. That was Wednesday night. Then on Thursday afternoon, they're like, here's a bunch of kickoff times. I know. That was so funny. So uh, We have some kickoff times, guys. Kickoff time. And they're all night games. I'm so happy. Yeah, four of them so far. Um, the opener, Thursday, September 1st, at home against South Carolina State, will be a 7 o'clock kick on ESPN+. Week two, on Friday the 9th of September, they'll play Louisville at home, of course. That one's on ESPN2 at 7.30. Then the following week, they go to FAU, uh, the 17th. That's uh, 7.30 kickoff on CBS Sports Network. And then the other one that we have is Week 7, the Thursday night game, the Space Game against Temple, 7 o'clock on ESPN in primetime. Do you know how excited I am about a night Space Game? Yes, I do. That, I, I can't, I'm so excited. Yes, I I'm do. I'm so freaking excited. You, you I can't, tell me that. can't <laughs> wait to see what the uniforms are this year. It's going to be great. I would um, like them now, please. Yeah. That's the one thing that would definitely tie us over a little bit more if they would just go ahead and release the new uniforms now. I'd be down. Yep. I'd be down would love if it. they want to. Um, Even if you don't want to release them, just DM them to me on Twitter. <laughs> Game of the week. Uh, it's a big one, obviously. This weekend is UCS softball heading to Norman, Oklahoma for the first ever Super Regional for the program. They're 49-12 uh, and 12 going into this weekend. They're playing number one Oklahoma, who's 52-2. and two. So if you're listening to this and you're not like a uh, super in touch with the softball world, Oklahoma to softball, like they're the Bama of softball if Bama was twice as good as they are. Like that they're they are like legitimately one of the most dominant, maybe the most dominant collegiate programs, period. So in short, UCF softball is going to get killed this weekend, but being one of the final sixteen teams in college softball is such an awesome accomplishment to host a regional and win a regional. Like I am I, first off, I've talked about some past podcasts. Softball is fun as hell to watch. 
It's been performing well on TV, and that's becoming like a that's becoming a big TV sport, honestly. And I think it's really good that UCF is playing, not playing a role, but is part of that. You know, being big in a sport that's now becoming big on TV. They're, the UCF Michigan game on TV got oh, like, yeah. I think it was close to three hundred thousand uh, viewers. So like that, I mean, just for another sport, for a, this is we're kind of in one of those phases that happens like maybe once in a decade where there is an emerging sport, and softball is very collegiate softball is very much emerging right now. So UCF's getting good at the right it's, time. It's nice too because like this is one of those things like around this time every year. Like I've, I've grown up watching college baseball this time, watching college softball. It's just like I I can think back to times as a kid like going like beach vacations during the summer where like the college world series, the women's college world series would be on, and like that's what we would have on you know when we were up in the or whatever um and so yeah it's cool so it's a best of three this weekend in norman uh the winner will go to oklahoma city the the college world series of the final eight teams friday at 4 30 is the game one saturday at two o'clock is game two and then if there if there is a game three it'll be sunday at a time to be determined um so obviously either way weekend, whatever yeah, happens just <laughs> what a freaking incredible season final i mean it's basically sweet 16 i, I just yeah, it's yeah. insane um do you have a tweet of the week this week tweet of the week so, I sort of have a Tweet of the Week. Um, we're changing plans. Tweet of the Week is whatever the hell excuses Miami fans are about to come up with to explain why it's okay or BS or whatever that Mario Cristobal said, I'm afraid <laughs> of playing UCF football. UCF fans, if you're listening to this podcast, you need to be ready. Whatever BS <laughs> they come up with, you just need to throw that quote in their face. Whatever they reply to you with, just reply and say, Mario Cristobal was afraid to play UCF. Mario Cristobal was afraid to play UCF. Mario Cristobal was afraid to play UCF. Miami is scared. Miami is scared. Miami is scared. <laughs> because whatever they have to say, it doesn't change that UCF's AD confirmed that Mario Cristobal is afraid to play UCF. So don't ever let that die. Don't ever let Miami fans say a single thing to you again because their head coach, who was the coach of Oregon, said, I don't think we should play UCF. He's also their savior. He's like, they're like, because Miami's been horrible for years. And they're like, oh, well, Cristobal. Like, and I do think Cristobal's going to do well there. But that's like their whole thing is like, oh, like now that we got Cristobal, like it's Miami's coming back. Isn't it ironic so, that Mario Cristobal, it's a great way to start. or at the very least, Mario Cristobal's boosters will essentially break the law or break NCAA law to like, you know, reportedly try to get players on UCF's roster? That's been a big message board rumor. And isn't it ironic that that's the case, but they also don't want to play message UCF? Message board rumor that Gus Malzahn pretty much confirmed. Okay, that's why I feel comfortable saying Because, like, obviously it's a message board rumor. Who the hell knows? But, like, at the same time, like, we'd been hearing that a lot. And then Gus was like, yeah, there's schools that have tried to take our players. And yeah. it's like, that's interesting timing, given that was the same week that yeah. everyone started to talk about the fact that Miami boosters were offering NIL deals and whatnot to UCF athletes. That's great. So, yeah. yeah. Well, Listen, if Nick Saban can quote message boards, I feel like I can too. So I can't. Yeah, we don't have time to talk about that. But that was <laughs> something that happened since the last podcast we had. No, uh, really, not a reason for us to talk about it. No, but. no, it's just I, it's one of those college football things where it's like I feel like everyone's talking about it. I watched I watched Jimbo's press conference live. It was great. Yeah, I was watching. Like I, I wasn't watching it at first because I was working, but then I was like, no, nah, I need to throw this on. Well, everyone see- was tweeting. I was like, to kind of scroll on Twitter, just kind of like see what it was, uh, what was going on. And everyone was like, you've got to watch this. I was like, all right. Well, the UCF angle was then four hours later. Gus Malzahn tweeted, getting on Twitter for the first time today. Yeah. Miss anything? <laughs> Oh, what a time. Um, so yeah, this has been a podcast that's kind of been all over the place, but that's the nature of our podcast. That's especially the nature of a Charge On Tour recap podcast. That's pretty much, yeah. It's um, an in-person Charge On Tour recap podcast that covered everything from Temple of- winning the AAC in 2016 <laughs> to uh, Miami. So All of are. the factors for that. Um, we want to thank you guys so much for listening. We also want to give a shout out to Andrea's Cakes and Desserts. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, we were leaving We were leaving the Charge On Tour and I saw a tent for gourmet cupcakes and I was like, gourmet cupcakes? And you're like, should we go? You're like, should we go check them out? I was like, yeah, sure, why not? And I was like, those look good. So we went over there. The man working at the tent, super nice guy. I want to shout out to him. I didn't get his name, but he was very nice. 
lovely man. Um, and then, yeah. Very, I, very I feel good. like I should make very clear that Andrea's Cupcakes is in no way a sponsor of the Pegasus no, Podcast. No, not at all. It was just like the best cupcake I've ever had. <laughs> and it was so good. It was good. So on Instagram, they're Andrea's Cakes Desserts. You pull Instagram. up the Instagram. Yeah, I do. I have, a, I have the Instagram. So shout out to them for that. Andrea's really Cupcakes may not sponsor the Pegasus Podcast, but the Pegasus Podcast sponsors Andrea's <laughs> yeah. Cupcakes. It's not like, <laughs> it's like one of our like subsidiary like things. Like, oh yeah, go, uh, go check out Andrea's this Cupcakes. This cupcake is brought to you by the Pegasus oh, Podcast. Great. It's a good, good cupcake. Seriously though, like that cupcake was absurdly good. So I need to go eat dinner though. It's nine thirty right now. The only thing I've had since lunchtime is cupcakes. So it was worth it. Need to go eat dinner. But thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back next week with episode seventy six of the Pegasus Podcast. And until then, you can find us on Twitter at baileyjadams twenty two at by ca simmons and at night sports now. Once again, thank you guys so much for being with us, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye everybody.